Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. right now. It's a great thought to keep in your mind as you're going through any day. It's one of those thoughts that I've kind of programmed for myself subconsciously, so it's like always there as a tool. What is important right now? To really make sure that you're keeping your hierarchy of what you need to do every day really present in your mind, okay? We're going to get back into As a Man Thinketh. I'm jumping ahead a little bit in the book to the chapter that's called The Thought Factor in Achievement. All that a man achieves and all that he fails to achieve is the direct results of his own thoughts, period. What is that? That's responsibility right there. It's responsibility. One of the greatest things that you can consistently do is to grow your sense of self-responsibility. Anytime that you have a problem where you get stuck or you're you're not sure what to do or you think you can't fix it or you're worried that you can't fix it, you should check, like just quietly say, where am I with my self-responsibility right now? Is there any part of my psychology that is blaming? Is there any part of my psychology that's going into self-pity? Is there any part of my psychology that's making excuses because I'm afraid to step up to the next level? We really have to be very, very conscious of that because we want to continue to grow it. You know, the more you grow that self-responsibility, the more empowered you are because that is where you own your power. To own your power is to be responsible for your experience. And make sure you hear me. It doesn't mean you're responsible for what's happening. You're responsible for your experience of it. Because the only thing that you can change is your experience of it. And that's all that is needed for you to live your goals, live your dreams, be of contribution, make a lot of money. I control my experience. I give meaning to my experience. In an orderly, in a just ordered universe where loss is equipoise would mean total destruction, individual responsibility must be absolute. A man's weakness and strength, purity and impurity are his own and not another man's. They're brought about by himself and not by another, and they can only be altered by himself never by another. His condition is also his own, not another man's. His suffering and his happiness are evolved from within. Each one is a seed that's planted in our mind at a very young age, either suffering or happiness. Whatever you give attention to is what grows, and that'll become your dominant viewpoint, like how do I view the world? Do I look at the world and am I happy? Or do I look at the world and all I see is suffering? I mean, right now, it's so easy to look in the world and see nothing but suffering. 
And you actually have to make an effort to see happiness because the news dominates with the suffering because that's how the news sells advertising. They get more eyeballs to watch the suffering. So we literally become programmed. And if you're not careful, the freaking news would have you believe that that's the only thing that's happening in the world is suffering. And it is so not. There are more good things happening than bad things. But you have to, you have, that's an awareness that you have to cultivate and you have to intentionally look for it. A strong man cannot help a weaker unless the weaker is willing to be helped. And even then, the weak man must become strong himself. He must, by his own efforts, develop the strength which he admires in another. None but himself can alter his condition. Now think about that. A strong man cannot help a weaker unless the weaker is willing to be helped. This comes down to human choice. It comes also spiritual choice, right? I mean, I have met probably thousands of coaches in my career. When I first started, there were there weren't that many. There were like the 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 original people, you know, you get your Tony Robbins, your Bob Proctor, your Jim Rohn, your Mark Victor Hansen, your Jack Canfield. There really wasn't many out there. Now today they're they're everywhere. But what's very interesting that you never would have heard any of the greats say, how can I help somebody that doesn't want to be helped? I know all the people that I mentioned, I know. And every one of them, especially when I was really learning from them, never, ever reached out to try to help somebody that didn't want to be helped, that didn't ask for help. Why? Because that individual piece of responsibility is the catalyst for you changing your life. Besides that, think about this. If somebody forces you to change, do you really want to change? Or are you like, fuck off? Leave me alone. Doesn't matter whether you're happy or not. But coaches today, like so many of them come to me and they're like, I've got this client. And this client has so much potential. And I just know that she can, you know, be, you know, she'll be the next Oprah. But I just can't get her to see it. I'm like, it's not your job to get her to see it. Or somebody will come to me and say, I know this person that's having all these problems. How do I get him to see that he can change? It's not your job to get him to see that he can change. The natural order is that the person reaches the place where they want change. Ask anybody in substance abuse industry. They will tell you nobody ever changes for good that doesn't really want to change. That's responsibility. It has been unusual for men to think and to say many men are slaves because of the oppressor. Let us hate the oppressor. Now, however, there is among an increasing few tendency to reverse this judgment to say one man is an oppressor because many are slaves. Let us despise the slaves. The truth is that the oppressor, now listen to this, really think about this. The truth is the oppressor and slave are cooperators. In ignorance, and while seeming to affect each other, are in reality, uh, they are in reality afflicting themselves. The perfect knowledge perceives that the action of law 
in this weakness is the opposed and the misapplied power of the oppressor, a perfect love seeing the suffering, which both states entail, condemns neither. A perfect compassion embraces both the oppressor and the oppressed. Anywhere that we see, this is, it's an interesting study because you can look at it in anything where we see the opposites exist in our world, right? So why do we have police? We have police supposedly to protect us from people that are criminals. Would police be necessary if there weren't any criminals? Nope. Both need each other to exist. Both need each other to exist. Here's something else that needs each other to exist. Each one of us, well, let me put it to you differently. Let's say, how many of you have a parent that you struggle with? How many of you would love your parent to change? Think about this. You need your parent to be the person that they are to make you who you are. You can't become who you're going to be without that opponent that challenges you in your life. I've had many clients where they really start to do well and they're like, how do I get through to my mother to change? I'm like, do you know something? If your mother changed, you would stop changing. You're changing because of the way that she is. She's the catalyst for your change. If all of a sudden she took the pressure off, you wouldn't feel this internal pressure to change. There is a very, a very real, it's both psychologically sound and spiritually sound idea that the people in our life that we view as a pain in the ass or bad or evil or whatever you view them is in some negative state are actually the largest blessing in our life. Because the contrast between those two things is what causes us to want to be better, to strive to do more, to be more, to contribute more, to love more, to care more. Without that, we would not have that awareness because that problem wouldn't exist in our experience. It wouldn't be there. Makes sense. Really think about it, though, because I know just as much as anybody, like, who the hell wants somebody that's a pain in their, their ass in their life? Like, nobody wants that, right? But if you're asking, if you come from the place of everything has a purpose, God is good all of the time. Then you have to look at things that are not good in your life and say, okay, but the law of polarity says there is something good about this. What is good about this that I'm just not recognizing? Well, hell, if it's my parents, I wouldn't be me if it wasn't for them. The good, the bad, and the ugly of how they are, I would not be me if it wasn't for them. That's really powerful. Because it also changes, if you allow it, It'll change the way you're looking at the problem. Instead of wanting it to stop or wanting it to go away, it brings enlightenment to that problem. 
It's only through acceptance. You ever hear somebody say, um, oh, if everything, if there's something good about everything, tell me what's good about this two-year-old that got cancer and died. You know, and they get like, they're indignant about it. We've all heard that kind of an idea. But that person's coming from an energy that there is nothing good about that. So when you're in that energy, you can't possibly see anything good about it. You're coming from the consciousness of the problem. You're actually in the consciousness of the problem. But if we stand out, if we rethink and, and we're like, okay, God is good all the time. The law of polarity states there's an equal and opposite to absolutely everything. Nothing escapes that law. We're all subject to those laws, just like we're subject to the laws of gravity. Then there has to be something good about this. So now you move into, you stop resisting and you move into acceptance. The moment that I move into acceptance, I start to see things differently. I'm allowing the truth to come to me. It's extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. If that truth comes to me, how would that change my day? My I had an extremely difficult mother. And while I had to have very firm boundaries around having her in my life, the ability to deal with that changed when I moved to acceptance instead of resistance. When I can't, you know, because most of my life it was like, if she would just change, if she would just change, if she would just change, and all these things that she was doing to me, it became all about me. You know, if she wasn't this way, I wouldn't be this and frustrated and angry and, you know, she turns into a giant blame target there. But when I started to understand this idea, all of a sudden it was kind of like, oh, big part of who I am is because of who she is. And if she changes, I don't have any further reason to continue in my journey to become something different because the pressure's off. Oh, okay. Well, so now I see it in a holistic form of purpose. Here's a holistic form of purpose, right? Whether you, how many of you have a brother or a sister or a father or a mother or an aunt or an uncle or maybe a, a, a co-worker, you know, that is just a pain, giant pain in the ass? What if you said, how is this person a blessing in my life? How is this person a blessing in my life? I had a healing conversation with my mother after she died. There was no consciousness on her part to have a healing conversation with her. She was a cluster B disordered individual and, and everything about her was manipulation. So to have a healing, try to have a healing conversation with her would be then used. It's like handing a, a serial killer the knife or the chainsaw and saying, I love you, don't hurt me. They're going to cut your fucking head off, right? That's it. Totally. I did it from a higher place. You know, I would speak in my mind, I would speak to her higher self, to her higher consciousness. But the acceptance of not having to change her, it didn't do anything. I don't know what it did for her. Maybe it did something for her. Maybe it didn't do something for her. But I will tell you this, it completely changed 
my existence, my experience of her. And I was able to deal with it from a totally different perspective. And then what it also allowed me to do was to learn so much about cluster B disorders and personality disorders, you know, it, it really took, it really took uh, my education a lot further, which then allowed me to help a lot more people because I could actually work with somebody who had a cluster B disorder. I understood it. I understood how to help them get what they wanted without having to change them. So what is important right now? What is important now? And ask yourself this question like, when you get really frustrated, why do I need this to change? Because you'll find out that you really don't. Generally, your need for something to change is selfish. And then say, what is the blessing for me in this? What's important now? Why do I need this to change? What is the blessing in this for me? It will totally change your experience around something. And it really works, right? Especially if you're going to be around family or there's any tension anywhere or whatever. You know, it's the whole idea of like being, being the Buddha in the chaos, right? The Buddha could go into chaos and it's unaffected by the chaos, but it's aware of the chaos. Same thing for you. These ideas allow you to move into the chaos without being affected by the chaos because you see it for what it is. It's not something that's no, it's no longer happening to you. It may be happening around you, but you can maintain your consciousness around it. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.